Hey, hey, it's Lou and welcome back to the final episode in this series of Shade Shorts, bite-sized conversations inviting you into the worlds of curators. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the life and work of our brilliant guests, Peju Oshin, Bolonle Tajuddin, Andrea Emelife, and today I'm in conversation with Jara Das. Jara is an independent curator, writer, and researcher who regularly moves between West Africa and the UK. Their interest in global, modern and contemporary art is cross-disciplinary, filtered through the lens of performance art. Jara's most recent curated exhibition, which I know that you all loved, was Body, Vessel, Clay, Black Women, Ceramics and Contemporary Art, which surveyed how ceramics have been disrupted, questioned and reimagined by black women over the last 70 years, beginning with the seminal Nigerian potter Ladikwali. Jara was awarded a two-year early career fellowship from Yale University's Paul Mellon Centre for studies in British art. And their most recent role was Deputy Director of Deptford X, which is London's longest-running visual arts festival. So enjoy Jara's generous sharing of her life as a curator. And I'll see you soon for Series 7. I'll see you then. Bye. I'd love to hear your kind of arts origin story. So when did you first see the visual arts as a viable career? When did you see yourself and when did you feel seen, like really seen? Right. Thank you so much. What a great question. Um, So I was actually born in Newcastle, um, up in Tyne, but I actually grew up in Nigeria. So in terms of my formative years, um, childhood years through to my early teens, I lived in Nigeria, grew up in Nigeria. Um, I don't particularly come from a family where um, visual art is at the core or was at the core of my experience growing up, but my father, um, who's still alive, was an architect. So in terms of my engagement with art, I would say that I really came from a consciousness that was thinking about um, spaces, architectural spaces that he designed and um, I experienced um, and the way that culture fed into that really. Um, as in my late teens I came back to the UK to study A-levels um, and I was on this trajectory which is probably very typical for people um, who come from a Nigerian household that I would um, do one of the sciences so I was on a trajectory actually to study um, engineering, which I started at university. Um, but one thing that I would say is that as a 16-year-old, that transference from Lagos to Newcastle, culturally, emotionally, psychically, um, really sort of marked a time where I began to think about the kind of career that I wanted to do. And really by accident, came into the sphere of history of art. I had a friend who was studying it during the time that I was an engineering student. And as I began to sort of, um, I guess, there was a dissatisfaction with sciences. I began to look at the humanities. So I began to look at things like sociology, psychology, and history of art, and the interest in research and histories of culture really pulled me in that direction. So I dropped out of my course. (laughs) I did not tell my parents that I was swapping courses because that would have been an abomination. Wow, great Um, move, Jaya. Really, really, really indeed. 
Um, but I had a dilemma where, you know, I came from a sort of science, straight A science background, um, transition into the UK, as I said, which was very difficult. So my grades suffered. And then I was trying to cross over to humanity. So I had to take extra A-levels, get onto art history at the University of Leeds. And that was really starting from scratch. Um, it was in terms of visibility and being seen. Um, I was, as far as I can recall, I can't remember there being any other um, black history of art students. So there was a lot to negotiate through university. Um, and also I found myself surrounded by people who had grown up going to museums. You know, they'd seen all of the masterpieces in London, you know, across Europe and America. And I never had those experiences because I didn't grow up in this country. So I really felt like, um, you know, I entered into this field, um, you know, at the deep end really. I had to learn everything. I had to engage myself outside of the reading going to see things. Um, and that, that really was a journey that began in 2005 um, where, and I felt since then really that I've had to really carve my way into the art world and engage with this um, lived experience that was split between two countries actually. Mm. That's so interesting. I think when you carve out your kind of own journey of exploration, education and discovery, within the arts or within any creative kind of endeavour, I think it almost always results in a richness that perhaps is not always um, available or part of the course if you've been offered like such a prescriptive kind of level of education. Just, mm. Do you know what I mean? I just, I, it's just so many people's stories that I speak to and I just think that is why you're so amazing at what you do. <laughs> I mean, for me, you know, I really sort of approach art with a, and the, particularly the research, I feel like I come from it, from a science perspective, super yeah. analytical, you know, really probing, asking questions, asking more questions. Um, so that perspective coming into something as expansive, um, rich, and also um, contested as um, histories of art, you know, was, is something that I found valuable. Mm. Um, and I, I've also found, you know, like you said as well, that there is a richness um, having these different perspectives and um, prior experiences coming into art. Um, I'm also very interested in really cross-disciplinary conversations as well. How do mm. these different disciplines sit um, together and converse? You know, how do we like break down these boundaries? How can they inform and enrich um, knowledge and w ways of seeing and knowing and being in the world. So this is something that I think having these experiences of, I guess, living across two different spaces, coming from a background of science into the humanities, you know, this is something that all of these um, experiences, I think, um, not I think, but for sure, um, have given me quite a unique um, approach to curating, which is, I believe, in, in, in my view, I think very op open and flexible, actually, and yeah. experimental. Yeah, well, this interesting and kind of unique path has, has taken you to the point of becoming Yale's inaugural Paul Mellon Early Career Fellow. Um, <laughs> congratulations on that. That's like a real achievement. And within that, you are examining post-colonial legacies in Nigerian and British studio pottery um, and you also held a, a show 
last year, uh, Body Vessel Clay, Black Women, Ceramics and Contemporary Art, which surveyed how ceramics have been disrupted and questioned and reimagined by black women over the last 70 years, uh, with a particular focus on the work of Lady Kuali. Um, And as this project continues, in what ways has it informed your sense of positioning Mm -hmm. at this stage of your career as a curator, storyteller, and I think most importantly, um, a custodian of this legacy that mm. you're holding, that you're nurturing. With Ladi Kuali, um, I guess a lot of the thinking behind that project, it's, it's a very personal project, um, as I mentioned, because, you know, I've had these experiences of being born in the UK, living in Nigeria, coming back to the UK. Um, so I was also quite surprised actually that during my high school years there were a lot of things in the history particularly history of culture that um it wasn't until I came to the UK I began to learn about right um and Ladi Kuali falls into this um category of exploring unknown to me history um and something that I was just really sort of astounded by um Ladi Kuali was born in 1924. She was a Gwari Potter, um, which is an ethnic group in the north of Nigeria, community of matrilineal potters, um, mothers to daughters passing down the um, skill. But Ladi, in Ladi's case, it was her aunt who taught her how to um, hand build. Um, and, you know, she just had this extraordinary extraordinary life where she was most celebrated within her community, um, gets into this dialogue with Michael Cardew uh, at the time, super established and famous British studio Potter, um, mm. who'd arrived in Nigeria on appointment of the Nigerian colonial government to come into the country, um, set up a series of small-scale potteries, but also introduce modern techniques of firing at the kiln glazed into um, Nigerian potters, local Nigerian potters, um, which wasn't part of the culture. Glazing wasn't part of the culture. Firing, using a kiln, wasn't part of the culture. Um, Pottery would be hand-built and fired openly, open fires to sort of um, solidify the moulded object. Mm. And so this intervention um, in Nigeria led to a series of events you know since really the 50s to the present day that you know made Ladi Kuali contributed to an international recognition of um, her skill but what I was quite intrigued by was that the narratives that I was coming across they weren't really sort of going into depth with this on this sort of origin in Nigeria this matrilineality which to me was really important actually you have um, years of history of women making pottery in this particular part of Nigeria but you know why why isn't that celebrated enough and why don't we know enough about that so a lot of what I was trying mm-hmm. to do in the exhibition I mean this project started off as a personal project um, asking questions when I was in Nigeria about Ladi Kuali and I would find that across generations you know she was known and recognized for her accolades but a lot of people didn't know about her history a lot of people didn't know if she was um dead or still you know if that she was dead or if she was still alive 
and she'd achieved so much you know she had a honorary doctorate from an established um, renowned university in Nigeria Amadebello University um, she had an MBE she's on the back of the Naira currency all of these things are like wi widely cited but in terms of her story her trajectory um, this wasn't something that was wildly widely out there in sort of museum going um, audience sphere Within a specialist network, yes, it was. Ceramic scholars know her work, collect collections in the UK that have a broad, expansive ceramics collection, hold her work and other Abuja potters. But I was quite interested in taking this out into a sort of broader audience field. Perhaps people who know of her work aren't really sort of paying that much attention to these origins in Nigeria, in Kwali, with the Gwari community. And then for a younger generation who just haven't come across um, her extraordinary life. So this was really the sort of driving force for the exhibition and the research that I'm carrying out ongoing now with the Paul Mellon Centre for British Art. Mm. Um, it, you know, was a project that, oh, it is, you know, an ongoing project that I'm very sensitive to certain things, certain gaps in the history. Um, Ladi Kwali was never interviewed. So we don't sort of have her contribution in terms of like her voice to this engagement that she had between um, Nigeria and the UK and internationally. Um, so I don't also want, I'm sort of sensitive to, I guess when you're working with the legacy of an artist no longer present, there's also the sensitivities to not write in a history, um, you know, writing into a history that is unknown. Um, and I think this is a very important um, curators working with legacy work. How do you tell a story that is sensitive to dealing with archive and secondary accounts or accounts um, that accounts that are left behind and build a rich um, narrative that isn't sort of, you know, rewriting history in a way that isn't sensitive to what you don't know, basically. Um, so this, you know, this, this is what I've tried to do with the project, um, with the exhibition, with the writing, that there are things that are unknown. There are things that Ladi Kwali didn't leave us with. All she's left with us are these objects. And here's a way to sort of, um, engage with them and make your own meaning. Hmm. And the show, like, um, received, like, such an amazing response. I just remember mm -hmm. last summer, it was, like, all over my <laughs> social media and Instagram. And mm -hmm. I was just delighted because I'm, like, at last I'm seeing, like, images and I'm engaging with and I'm learning more about ceramics. It's about time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's it's just all of these amazing arts that have kind of been um, not been given the platform that, that they deserve for such a, a long time and um, it was amazing to see and especially the work of some of the artists that that you had in that show Magdalene uh, Adundo and um, relatively new artists Phoebe Collins James and mm -hmm. you had Jade Montserrat and just so many amazing um, artists um, I'm really interested in this kind of cross-discipline um, work and kind of focus that you were talking about earlier. Back in 2019, you did uh, a West Africa uh, trip and you visited Ghana, Nigeria, Senegal, Mali, Benin, Ivory Coast and, and more countries within West Africa um, on a three-month research trip that was funded by the Arts Council. 
and you, you witnessed activist-led, uh, community-centred performance art. And I was reading about how performance art also informs like your thinking um, and your practice as well. And I'm just really, I'm really interested in hearing about about that, how performance art does inform your curatorial work. Well, I guess the interest in performance really is um, a draw to process. You know, um, every time I encounter an object, whether it's a ceramic object, a painting, an installation, my mind immediately goes into this question of what is the process that led to me arriving at this thing that I see in front of me? Um, So I'm very much paying attention to, you know, the ways in which perhaps an image is constructed, you know, how is the hand moving to create certain patterns? Um, How does the body move around a lump of clay to form a vase? Um, Which to me speak of, well, movement for sure. And then in a sort of broader sense, moving to make meaning, which in a simplified form, you can sort of define performance art. It's a lot more complicated, but yeah, and, and and sorry to interrupt, but that's led me immediately to uh, uh, Lena Kalu's work that we were Absolutely. talking about earlier before we started recording. Her movements are such a beautiful, like, b- performance, you know, non-intentional, an integral part of the work is really interesting. So I've never heard anyone describe it um, the way that you've described that, thinking about the performance in the procedures that go into the creation of the piece. So that's really interesting. But yeah, sorry. It's okay. So that's always something that I'm looking at in work or drawing out from work. Um, I mean, I have also just an interest in this idea that at certain points throughout history, um, artists were to turn into performance as a really immediate way to communicate ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to, if you, you know, you don't have to buy a canvas, you don't have to worry about paint, you just use the body to create um, a visual art form. So I'm very interested in that. I'm very interested mm-hmm. in also the ways in which um, one uses the body for these actions in public space, privately. But it is something that, you know, an artist develops with um, very little, actually. Um, so this is something that in terms of um, curatorial studies, um, more, more scholarly studies, I've always been drawn to performance as an art form across the different parts of the world that I've traveled and lived in. Mm. And the trip across West Africa, um, growing up, I mean, I only had visited Nigeria and Bene Republic, which is next door. Yeah. And within West Africa, you have this... Um, just in terms of the way the region was divided colonially, um, there's a dominance of French-speaking Francophone countries, and then you have pockets of um, English-speaking countries within West Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, Liberia, Sierra Leone. I think I've got those four. And, And I was just quite curious of this idea that perhaps because of language barriers, I, I, I don't speak French, my French is very poor, um, within Nigeria, surrounded by the Francophone countries, I personally wasn't moving across the borders to experience the culture around. And as I 
developed and built this career as a curator, researcher, writer mostly. Um, I would travel and meet a lot of African and African diaspora artists who were making work that was very context-specific, informed by places they lived, cities mm. they lived, towns, um, the landscape of certain parts of um, West Africa, um, more widely um, across the continent, that informed their work, which would then come into the context of um, an institutional space or a biennial um, in the West, which is where I've been traveling most to see things. Um, and for a long time, um, you know, I, I always had this idea that I, you know, I really need to see this work in the context of where it's created, because, you know, it's very different having an experience outside of perhaps a market in Ghana, bringing those elements into, you know, a different space in the UK. You know, there's, I just really wanted to understand how these places were informing work, how they were being received, um, how a lot of the artists that I was engaging with were turning to protests within performance, protesting injustices and oppression in the context of where they were living. So I, for a long time, for over 10 years, I've really, I'd really been saying to myself, I really need to get a bit of funding that takes me around this region. It is the region that is... Um, most immediate to me because I'm I'm Nigerian mm. um, and you know what is this sort of you know these borders they're, they're not historically the way the region should be so there's a lot of even though the language is um, a barrier there's a lot of cultural historical um, similarities in food in dress you know in sort of indigenous cultures actually um, if we sort of took those borders apart how what would it look like to move across the region and think about the ways in which a generation of artists, specifically performing arts artists, are responding to their context? Are there resonances? Are there, you know, so this, this kind of inquiry was at the back of my head. Um, I'm an independent curator. I'm not sort of attached to an institution, so it took a while. Um, and Luckily, 2019, I got this Arts Council. I proposed it to Arts Council for the Developing Your Creative Practice um, funding strand. Wow. And I was awarded a grant to, you know, take this explore, explorative journey across West Africa. Um, it was pretty transformative um, because there were a lot of things that I was recognizing that I didn't expect um, having a Nigerian background. Um, even though, you know, as I said, I'm not, my French is really basic. It was even beyond the language that I was, um, communicating with people who things that I guess were commonalities, um, and also sort of shared problems that I didn't know about politically, actually across the countries where at the end of the trip, you know, I began to think about, well, you know, this thing that I thought was a Nigerian problem is actually a Ghanaian problem and a Senegalese problem, actually. Um, mm. So just really, you know, thinking through these um, commonalities, as I mentioned, um, and also getting a real understanding for how places were informing the work that some of the artists that I visited um some of the artists that I visited, how, how the place really sort of 
comes into the work in a really visceral way. So, for example, I went to Kumasi and I visited an artist called uh, Vabene Fiatsi, who is an activist, um, is very sort of engaged with LGBTQIA um, rights in Ghana, and has set up a space, well, transformed their studio space into a sort of laboratory and a hatchery for performance art, because um, in the university that they studied at, you know, there wasn't a formal sort of discourse around performance where you would go and get an MA in performance, you know, you got the you know, quite sort of traditional sculpture, painting, textile, ceramics, um, BAs. Um, and they were sort of, performance was something that was self-led, that they developed themselves. So their studio then became this collaborative space um, for artists to explore and test out ideas related to performance. In Lagos, Jalili Atiku, um, performance artist who within his local community um, has been performing in this in his um, local environment for over 20 years um, he has an international career but the work is very much embedded in his community of Ejibu he's very um, he's an important community leader he's very involved in politics protests but really you know developing this form um, of expression informed by things that are affecting him and his community. So this was just something that, you know, was, and I'd, I'd seen both of their work outside of the countries where they live and work. And a lot of it was just making so much sense when I visited them to get an understanding and to get a firsthand account as a witness really of where the work is born from and developed. Mm. And that, that like amazingly rich body of research, like what happens after a trip like that? Like what happens with all of that information and knowledge for those that don't know what might happen? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, I mean, the beauty of research is that, you know, you've sort of done the work and then you think of the ways that it should be disseminated, right? Yeah. And mm. so with Verbene, we did an incredible interview, um, sort of extended interview for a journal called Extra, who are based mm. in California. Um, but because of the pandemic, a lot of things have sort of been delayed. So that came out two years after the research trip. Right. Um, Jalilia Tiku is somebody that I've wanted to work with for over a decade. And mm. last year... I was deputy director of Deptford X. Actually, mm. commissioned Jalili to come to Deptford um, and lead a community, a collaborative community parade. Um, also, thinking of the history of Deptford, Deptford migration, um, the fact that Dep Deptford has a huge Nigerian um, community there as well. It made you know for me it was a kind of no brainer to invite somebody like Jalili to engage with this migratory histories um, and bring um, his his performance art to the heart of Deptford High Street, which was hugely successful. I don't think Deptford has ever seen anything like it, actually. That is so amazing. I lived there for like 15 years, so amazing. I know that area pretty well. I can just imagine the reception. Mm. Yeah, amazing. And so, the you know, the research is always, I mean, I, I, just jumping back a bit to the Ladi Kuali project I mean that was research for that I'd been doing 
on and off for seven years that just manifested as an exhibition last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always, I mean, my research projects tend to be long-term um, and also sometimes it's just when the time is right, actually, and when there's an opportunity um, for that to be disseminated, whether it's an exhibition, whether it's um, a substantial bit of writing, whether it's things like conversations like we're having now yeah. um, that gets the work out there. Um, yeah. yeah, but there, there are multiple ways, really. Well, I would really love if... Um... Um, following our conversation, if perhaps you had any images that you're able to share of, of some of the particular works and artists that you saw on that trip, and I'd love to share them um, alongside this episode so people can um, can have a look at some of these amazing artists' work. Something that you said that was very interesting was that you you know you you work as an independent curator. You're not attached to um, any particular institution but my imagining of your role and your practice um is that it must be so rewarding having agency over the projects that you work on and the stories that you tell but I'm sure there's also challenges to that one thing I will say is that I mean I've I've sort of tried different things in the art world um I have institutionally um 12 years ago and more recently last year um short-term contracts um but the independent you know establishing myself as an independent curator has come as a response um to a lack of opportunities actually um in terms of research my research interests you know where that sits within um, an institutional framework um and also just the fact that um the very few positions for a lot of brilliant curators out there as well mm. um, so that's a you know that's a real sort of a, a reality of um, how do you respond to the fact that there are qualified people in a field and there's just not that many jobs right, um, right. and so I've sort of moved between you know when that when I've been faced with the fact where you know I haven't been able to get perhaps a permanent position I've, I've gone back to study so I've gone back to education that's yeah. been one way. Um, so my PhD um, was something that I knew that I wanted to do at some point and the job market was just not working in my favor. Yeah. Um, so I went on to do a PhD. And then other times um, I've actually had to move abroad. So I lived in Dubai um, for a couple of years as a response to, you know, that was where I could find work um, or I, yeah. I was able to find work. Um, and so it's because I think that people think, oh, you know, independent curator, you know, it's so breezy. It's, it's, it's a real struggle for people, um, you know, between sort of, you know, trying to find funding for your projects, but also, you know, there's certain projects like I couldn't have done the Kuali project without the support of Two Temple Place, because that was a collection show, mostly a collection show. Mm. particularly the historic work. So they were coming in from museum collections um, across the country, which um, I needed the support of an institution to do that, um, to sort of secure the works, to ensure the works. Um, So that wouldn't, you know, it would have been, for me anyway, it would have been quite difficult to stage that myself, to also find a venue that um, was of museum standards that could host the show as well um so these kind of things 
Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm relatively, I wouldn't say young in the field, but, you know, it's, it's, it's also just that sort of, um, I'm still growing in the field as well. Mm. Um, and so, and, and then I've just also, there's a different points where, you know, I've really had to pack the curating and just focus on writing. Right. Um, because that was where I could sort of develop some of the research interests. It was also taking me to places where I could engage with artists, um, art events globally. So at a period in time, I was, you know, mostly writing, actually, or writing alongside um, my academic studies as well as a way to sustain myself. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, there is a... I, I think what has been, particularly in the last year, is that I've sort of worked on three projects where I went into Camden Art Centre and was a guest curator um, of a public programme for six months, um, and then opened Body Vessel Clay across two venues, two temple places yeah. in York Art Gallery, and then I ended the year working at Deptford X. So it's been quite interesting that, of course, if... I had a permanent job, I wouldn't have been able to have these varied experiences, which came back to back because of the pandemic, really. Um, so that was a very sort of rich and also exhausting um, year to go through. But it also, you know, there were learnings from each, each um, situation and each institution where, in a way, I was sort of um, a guest, really. Yes. things to sort of take forward um in terms of I guess thinking about independent projects and how I work before we wrap up um do you care to share any anything that you'd like to talk about that we can look forward to from you in in the future so I'm on a two-year fellowship with the Paul Mellon Centre um mm. for British Art and I mean the ambition is to sort of take this ongoing research on Ladi Kuali and um, develop substantial writing around her and her legacy. So mm-hmm. I'm working on that currently. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly what I'll be doing at least for the next year and a half. Um, I mean, I'm exploring curatorial projects in different regions. I have a show coming up in Shanghai at the Pond Society that I'm very excited about which will turn out soon. Um, Very interesting exploration of um, contemporary painting. Oh, amazing. um, So that's something that is in the works that I'm excited and will be sharing soon. I'm really interested to to see what happens um, as you work through the Paul Mellon Fellowship and with your new show um, and everything else that you have coming too. So thank you, Jara. Thank you so much, Lou, and thank thank you to everybody who came to see Body Vessel Clay. Really, it was you know such a amazing reception for the show. I'm so grateful for everyone who saw it.